Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. all here i'm getting fig newton i'm getting fig newton shamed it's not a normal fig newton it's blueberry no 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 no. sorry i wasn't trying to shame you because of your fig newton i was just curious because that's not something that you see people eating often mm-hmm. and i honestly like forget that they exist right like they so when still i saw that us. i was like is that a fig newton? so <laughs> it was more just surprise not shame so it's not like the Fig Newton brand Fig Newton, oh. but I do have Fig Ones, which, by the way, Everly thinks is fudge for some reason. She, like, thinks Fig oh. is fudge. I don't know why. Um, it's called Nature's Bakery is the brand. Oh, okay. I you know what I'm talking those. about? I like those. So they have yeah. Fig, Blueberry, Apple, but they also have, um, like, bakery-flavored ones, like specialty ones. They have a brownie one. They have, like, this Ooh. cherry crumble one that's really fucking good. Mm. Um, but I get them for Everly because they're not, like, packed with fake sugar. Like, like Nature Valley mm-hmm. bars and stuff are. Sometimes yeah. I'll have one. They, like, make me really bloated because there's grain in them. But, like, if I have want sugar, I will just deal with it and have one because it's better than, like, eating cake, right? So, uh, how y'all doing? Doing well. What's going on? Doing well. Nicole's nice and sauced up right now, I think. She's been busy lately. She's been making a bunch of changes to our website. It looks awesome. Go check it out, perfectstranglers.com. She got us a snazzy new email, which is contact at perfectstranglers.com. Mm-hmm. Use that email to send us your stories. Um, you can send us pet of the week stuff. By stories, we mean pretty much anything weird that's happened. It could be paranormal. It could be true crime. You could have saw Bigfoot. Do you believe in mermaids? Let us know and let us know why. Um, <clears throat> also, in the last or in one of the episodes coming up, we talk about paranormal stuff. So if you guys have any like weird um, houses that are in your neighborhood or whatever that you believe be haunted, and there's like a story behind it, email us that, and we'll like do a case on it because you know we also do paranormal stuff. Um, yeah, teach yeah. us some stuff. Teach us. Anytime I hear anyone say, like, teach us, I think, teach me how to Dougie. And then it goes back to being in beauty school and when that song came out and everyone was fucking doing it. <clears throat> oh, gosh. That was kind of an awkward stage of the 2000s. Yeah. Hey, speaking of childhoods, oh. do you want to hear about somebody who had a really fucked up childhood? Oh, I have never been so excited. Because <laughs> let us know what we're doing, Bree. We're talking about John Wayne Gacy today. <gasps> Heavy hitter. <laughs> Get it, girl. <laughs> okay, so first of all, his name is John Wayne Gacy Jr. Did you know he was a junior? I did not. I don't know anything about this man. Yeah, it's John Wayne Gacy Jr. And he was born on March 17th, 1942. 
His mother was Marion Gacy, and his father was John Stanley Gacy Sr. Uh, he was, uh, John Stanley Gacy was the son of Polish immigrants. So, he was Polish and, I believe, Danish. Um, and John Wayne Gacy was the middle child. Uh, you know, the old middle child syndrome. Um, Mm -hmm. he had an older sister named Joanne and a younger sister named Karen. Karen. With the Karens in this podcast. Yeah. Uh, But Karen has actually done a lot of interviews, and some of our listeners listeners may have seen her do uh, Oprah interview back in the day. Um, She's been on other documentaries and stuff, too. Um, The Gacy family lived in a modest bungalow in Chicago. That's kind of where his hometown was, Chicago, so he was a midwestern fella john wayne gacy senior his dad was a very gruff world war one veteran who had an alcohol dependence problem he was violent um being physically verbally and emotionally abusive to the entire family his wife john gacy jr the sisters everyone uh he sounded like a real bear to live with uh, a lot of that rage was directed toward John Gacy Jr. Uh, because he wasn't a stereotypical little boy. Um, John Wayne Gacy liked cooking and gardening and playing with his sisters. And John Gacy Sr., he'd take uh, Jr. fishing, try to make a man out of him, so to speak. But he wasn't any good at it, and he didn't like fishing or baseball or any of those typical boy activities of the 50s and 60s. Right. Traditional gender roles. I once was talking to this guy, and he said that he was going to take me fishing, and I said, I don't touch fish. And he's like, do you touch worms? And I said... Hell no. I said, no, I don't touch worms. And he's like, you won't touch mine. And I said, (laughs) block! Oh my god. (laughs) Block! Was he holding a fish in his dating profile picture? (laughs) I don't fucking know. Guys are so gross. <laughs> anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, Nicole. <laughs> that really made um, John Gacy Sr. angry because according to him, he had a sissy or a patsy as a son. He would berate John Jr. in front of his sisters and other neighborhood kids, humiliating him. God. Yeah, when John John Jr., when he was seven years old, uh, his father was informed that his son and another boy had been caught sexually fondling another young girl, and his father whipped him with a razor strap as punishment, which was a very common <gasps> punishment in their households. What's a razor strap? So, razor, like a, like a, like a straight razor, like the old razors would have to be sharpened uh, using, like, a razor. Oh. It's almost like a belt. Like a... Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm Googling it. Yeah, so you put, like, this powder on it, Fuck. and you just... Um, that's how you kind of, like, make the blade um, sharper. Damn, okay. <clears throat> so that same year, a uh, family friend and contractor would sometimes molest... Uh, John Gacy Jr. in his truck and he never told his father about this, afraid that his father would blame him. Like I said, whipping with a laser 
the laser. <laughs> a laser. <laughs> Whipping with a leather razor strap was a common punishment in their household, and eventually John Jr. was able to control himself to not cry. Oh my gosh. That's so sad that you have to, like, teach yourself how not to cry. Yeah. Well, actually, it, he he did it to spite his father. Mm. He would not cry... And it would make his father angry that he wasn't crying Hmm. uh, while he was whipping him. Uh, Sometimes Marion Gacy would try to step in to defend John Jr. Because he took the brunt of the beatings. Um, And John Sr. called him a mama's boy and that he would probably end up being a queer. Oh my god. Yeah. He had a special bond with his mother and his father felt threatened by it like they were keeping secrets. Um, John Jr. did have a secret, as it turns out. Uh, he was caught a few times um, with a brown lunch bag, uh, like a paper lunch bag with women's silk panties and bra in it um, that he took oh. from his mother's drawer. <gasps> He's a panty sniffer? Yeah, well, he would try them on. Um, his oh. One time his child best friend found it in his closet and asked why do you have this and John confided in him that he sometimes likes to try it on and see what he would look like as a woman Um, and that was kind of the start of his sexual confusion Um, John Wayne Gacy was a sickly child Um, during fourth grade he experienced blackouts seizures and a burst appendix Uh, And it was discovered that he had a congenital heart condition, which caused an enlarged heart. His mother treated him with all his favorite comfort foods because she felt bad that he couldn't be like the other kids. Um, He, this caused him to um, become overweight because he was not able to uh, exert himself because of his condition. He was told by doctors to avoid uh, all sports at school. Uh, oh my God. and yeah, so because of his mom's comfort meals and, you know, not being able to exercise, he was kind of a, a chubby child. He was teased. Do we know how tall he was? Like, was he tall as well? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. And I mean, at that, that was probably before puberty. So who knows then, but, um, yeah, he doesn't seem like an extremely I, tall person. Okay. No, he's about my height. He's he's five ten and I'm five nine. So I mean, okay. So he's under six when foot. You're big, yeah. When you're big at that height, though, you look bigger than you are. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Okay. He was teased a lot by the other kids because of being overweight and not being able to be involved in the typical childhood games and activities. Um, He joined the Boy Scouts at 12 years old to try and belong to something and feel normal. He felt a lot of pressure to do well in school since he couldn't play any sports. Uh, His health and grades didn't get better, though. And in his early teen years, like 14, 15, 16, he was in and out of the hospital due to blackouts and seizures, which were not controlled. Uh, His father openly accused him of faking his condition for sympathy uh, while he was... Wait, did you say he had epilepsy? He No. He had seizures and blackouts that weren't controlled. They actually didn't know what was 
wrong with him. This this is interesting because Richard Ramirez had epilepsy and he also had seizures. Mm. There's like a few. There's like a like serial killers who like this is like a commonality that they have is like that type of thing. A serial killer is typically a person who murders three <laughs> or more okay, people, Siri? usually in service of abnormal psychological gratification with the murders taking place over more than a month and including a significant period of time between them. Why? Thank you, Do you Siri. want me to keep reading? No, why did you turn on? Wow, thanks, Google. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Eddie, why? Why did that just happen? Okay, keep going. <laughs> That's so weird. His father openly accused him of faking his condition for sympathy while he was laying in the hospital bed. His grades got worse um, as a result of missing school, uh, being in the hospital so much. Mm-hmm. Yet he still tried his darndest to fit in, and even though he was deeply confused about his sexuality, he learned to ignore it and just date girls. He learned the printing trade in high school, but after several fainting spells in shop class, his teachers agreed that he would never be able to work near machinery. His doctors never conclusively diagnosed his condition, uh, but since I know somebody who this has happened to, I can tell you that most likely he had conversion disorder. So what's that? Uh, The definition of conversion disorder is a mental condition in which a person has blindness, paralysis, or other nervous system neurological symptoms that cannot be explained by medical evaluation. So the fainting is basically, it's a psychosomatic response to stress caused yeah. by trauma. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That, okay. would, that would make um, sense. Damn. Yeah. Because, I mean, at this, I mean, he had, he had experienced a lot of trauma. Right. I mean. He, so does that explain, does that explain the seizures as well? Yes. Yeah. It could. Okay. It could, yeah. Okay. I mean, damn. Okay. Yes. Um. So at age 17, John Jr. got in a fight with John Sr. over a car that he had saved for and bought. After the fight, John Jr. drove away and he was missing for a while until Marion Gacy finally convinced her husband to get the help of a private investigator to find John Jr. He was found in Las Vegas working at a mortuary. He slept, right. um, yeah, kind of a... random. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. slept in a cot behind the embalming room. Oh. Sounds cozy. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Imagine how bad that probably smelled. Probably. Or, like, chemically, at least. Yeah. Yes. One time, oh. he climbed into a casket with a recently deceased teenage boy in it. <gasps> he embraced and caressed the corpse before oh. experiencing a sense of shock no. oh man why you don't know you like you don't know you like something until you do it holy fuck jesus christ <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so he came he went back to his hometown uh, after about a year year and a half maybe uh, and his sister karen says that he was completely different after he came back he had changed he was very into himself uh, when he came back to Illinois from uh, Nevada, he moved to Springfield, Illinois, and he took a job managing a shoe store. Uh, he was 
a member of the Junior Chamber of Commerce, that is the JCs. Uh, he started an anti-litter campaign and booked speakers to come and do sex, sex education classes for the high school. Um, he wanted his name in the paper, he wanted recognition, and at this time he was dating a shy bookkeeper named Marlin Myers, and they, they got married and they had a baby in February of 1966. Uh, so John was actually at a bar with a co-worker while his wife Marlin was in labor. He woke up in bed with the male co-worker the next day. And he shrugged it off, pretended like it never happened, went to the hospital to meet his new baby. Um, I mean, just you do you, but like, about it. at the same time, your wife's having a baby. <laughs> Maybe you yeah, do your you first on a born child. Day. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was a very nurturing father, despite that. Um, he finally, um, you know, gained his father's approval. Uh, John Sr. was finally satisfied with, uh, with John Jr.'s life. He was married with a child. He managed a, a successful business. Um, but under the surface, bad things were bubbling up still. In 1966, John and his wife, Marlin, moved to Waterloo, Iowa, because John's father-in-law owned several KFC restaurants in the area, and at 24 years old, John became the manager for three of them. He loved being the big boss and being in control, telling people what to do. And he insisted that his friends and family call him Colonel. Like Colonel Sanders. Weird. Yeah, it was weird. He would work 16-hour days and still find the time to be one of the most valuable members of the Waterloo, Iowa JCs. That's so weird. He's, like, very high-functioning, but had, like, such a strange life. Definitely. Very high-functioning. His fundraising efforts were unmatched, and he was well-respected, despite his incredibly unconventional ways to increase membership. He had the power of charm and persuasion, and he was the membership chairman. He lured men to join the JCs by showing illegal stag films... That's pornos. Yeah. Um, hosting orgies with sex workers at the local hotel called the Clayton House Hotel. And in one evening, he signed up 20 members. That was kind of his record for 20 members in one night. He's like a straight up psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> He's very charming. Very charming. Leads a very routine life. Very structured. Not chaotic. Uh-huh. He is a sociopath or a psychopath. I mean, except for when it comes to the JCs. I mean, I know there isn't a yeah. much to do in Iowa, but the Waterloo yeah. JCs were wilding out. Like <laughs> they were heavily involved in with wife swapping, pornography, and drug use. What? The JCs. Yeah. <laughs> Not kidding you. Oh my god. Holy shit. Um, John was voted Man of the Year and promoted to J.C.'s Vice President in Waterloo, Iowa. Um, in August 1967, one afternoon while uh, his wife Marlin and the kids were gone, he invited uh, a teenager named Donald Voorhees over. 
Donald was 15 years old, and he was the son of a fellow JC, who was also an Iowa senator. Uh, John got Donald drunk, and they watched a stag film on a projector. And he forced himself on, onto the boy, and threatened him, and told him that he has mob connections back in Chicago, so he better never say anything, and he gave him $50 for his silence. Donald held onto the secret for a little while, but eventually he told his parents everything. Gacy was arrested and charged, but he denied it, and he thought that he could outsmart a lie detector test, and he failed miserably. Um, a bunch of other kids came forward with mistreatment, and Gacy uh, ended up paying an 18-year-old employee of his $300 to beat up Donald Voorhees and spray him with mace in order to intimidate him to not testify at his trial. What? Oh my god. I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me that he would do that, but like, damn. Yeah. So, I mean, he got intimidating witness as well as the charge. Um, John said that this was a setup. It was politically motivated. Um, He publicly denied any wrongdoing and insisted that the charges against him um, were were because uh, Donald's dad had opposed Gacy's nomination for uh, appointment as the president of the Iowa Jaycees. Several fellow Jaycees found Gacy's story credible and rallied for his support. However, on May 10th, 1968, Gacy was indicted on a sodomy charge, um, and on September... 12th, Gacy was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation at the Psychiatric Hospital of the University of Iowa. Two doctors examined him over a period of 17 days before concluding that he had an antisocial personality disorder, which, there we go. Yep, which incorporates constructs such as sociopathy and psychopathy. Uh, they concluded that he was unlikely to benefit from any therapy or medical treatment and that his behavior pattern was likely to bring him into repeated conflict with society. Mm-hmm. The doctors concluded wow. that he was mentally competent to stand the trial, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, a note from one of the doctors says, the most striking aspect of the test results is that the patient's total denial of responsibility for everything that has happened to him he can produce an alibi for everything. He presents himself as a victim of circumstances and blames other people who are out to get him. The patient... So he's manipulative. Absolutely. And a narcissist. The patient well. attempts to assure a sympathetic response by depicting himself as being at the mercy of a hostile environment. Um, that, was, that was part of the psychiatric evaluation. Okay, so he pled guilty and was charged with the sodomy, which I thought sodomy was just butt stuff. (laughs) So did I. (laughs) Um, But I looked it up. So did I. It was specifically oral... (laughs) Specifically oral (laughs) sodomy. So the sodomy charge uh, pertains to anal, oral... So he ate ass. No. No. It's like oral copulation. (laughs) Yeah. So, 
sodomy charge pertains to anal, oral, or bestiality, in pra- and in practice, sodomy laws have rarely been enforced against heterosexual couples. Mostly, um, they mostly have been used to target homosexuals. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a common charge, uh, as common now as it, as it used to be. I'm not sure. Um, because sometimes, like, honestly, I think nowadays they're just like, it's straight up, it's rape. Like, let's not bring such sexuality into this. It's, you raped them. Yeah. Okay. So he got 10 years when the judge didn't buy his justification that he said that it was consensual. Uh, he was, uh, sentenced to the 10 years at Anamosa State Penitentiary in Iowa. Uh, and that was in December of 1968. Uh, after that, he never saw his wife or kids again. He ended up having two kids with Marlene, and she filed for a divorce uh, once he went to prison. He actually thrived in prison. Uh, he, Of course he did. Yeah, he pursued every social outlet he could. He was in the prison choir He mingled with the guards and other prisoners and even the warden. He also joined the inmate JC chapter. Who knew? (laughs) Where where was this in prison at? Oh my god. This was in Iowa at Anamosa State uh, Penitentiary. Um, Yeah, I didn't know they had JC chapter. Um, He increased the... Uh, inmate JC chapter uh, in its membership from 50 to 650 men in the span of less than 18 months. Yeah. What the (laughs) This guy is insane. He is known to have secured an increase in the inmates daily pay in the prison mess hall and to have supervised several projects to improve conditions for the inmates in the prison. Gacy once oversaw the installation of a miniature golf course in the prison recreation yard. <laughs> so he was a man he about town. He loves attention. He he loves attention. Oh, definitely. And he and he earned it. So he was like a he, he was it. like a union rep basically yeah. <laughs> in prison. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So within uh, eight months, he became the head cook, and he was very popular. He loved trying new recipes and was very good with his use of spices. Probably, I'm guessing, from his KFC 11 different herbs and spices days. (laughs) Okay, Colonel. Right? (laughs) (laughs) The prison food uh, quality improved dramatically. Uh, While in prison for sodomy, his father died on Christmas Day of cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, John was... Um, who had recently received his father's approval after a lifetime of rejection was devastated by his father's death. John was um, convinced that his father died of shame because of his conviction. His grief turned to rage, which he would inflict on the other inmates that he suspected of being gay. In June 1970, he was released on good behavior. He was granted parole with with 12 months probation on June 18, 1970, after having served only 18 months of his 10-year sentence, and after those doctors did his psych eval and said that he obviously oh 
can't be helped and is a danger to society. Okay, I have words for this. I, I have things to say. <coughs> Excuse me. Just because you're a good person in prison doesn't make you a good person. It means you're being a good person to hopefully get out so you can go be a shit person on the outside more, more than likely, I feel like. Just because you are well-behaved in a place that you were supposed to be well-behaved in, because if you're not well-behaved in there, you're going to get like intense repercussions either from the other inmates fucking you up or being put in solitary or whatever. Like, of course you're going to be well-behaved in there. Because look at what happens when you're not well-behaved. Right. It doesn't mean you're uh, you're fixed. American prisons don't rehabilitate people. No. They just they don't. They store them. They don't rehab... That's like, that's like for another fucking thing. Also, I've been listening to a podcast, um, San Quentin Prison. They actually have a podcast, and it's fucking amazing. It's called... The Prisoners have what it's a podcast? Called. The Prisoners oh, have yeah, a podcast. Oh, yeah, I have podcast. heard about this podcast. I, I mentioned it in our chat. Um, it's called, God, San Quentin. It's really interesting. So side note quick. So San Quentin prison. It's really good. Um, but yeah, so they, they talk about really heavy stuff like this, about like how prisoners, they're not rehabilitated. They talk about everything from food to like conjugal visits. It's called ear hustle. Mm. It is so fucking good. Um, to conjugal visits, to like how prison functions, how you get a new um, bunk mate, how you have a, how you're like, have your own room and like no bunk mate. It's just really interesting. But anyway, I hate that he got let out because he's not a good person. He was just good in prison. Fuck that shit. Anyway, moving on. Okay. The conditions of his probation included that Gacy relocate to Chicago to live with his mother and that he must observe a 10 p.m. curfew. So after being released uh, from prison, he had to return to Chicago. It was a, kind of a fresh start for him because the people there didn't know what happened, uh, what all went on in Iowa. And on, let's see, February, he was, he was up to no good still. Because on February 12th, 1971, uh, which is a mm, little less than a year uh, after he was released, Gacy was charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy who claimed that he had lured him into his car at Chicago's uh, Greyhound bus terminal and was uh, driven to his home where he attempted to force the boy into sex. The court dismissed this complaint when the boy uh, failed to appear uh, oh to court. God. The Iowa Parole Board was also unaware of this, especially since it got dismissed. And you know, um, like, his track record of, of keeping people away from the courts for his own good, like... Oh. Definitely. So he was 28 years old, um, John Wayne Gacy was at the time, he that's it yep only 28 he um was living with his mom he was uh saving money working as a short order cook uh his temperament was different he was very driven um very motivated and in june of 1971 he started his own contracting company called pdm contracting uh painting decorating and maintenance is what pdm stood for how original. Right. 
Uh, he bought a house on the outskirts of Chicago and moved his mom in with him. Uh, it was at 8213 West Somerdale Avenue. And this is the house where he murdered most of his victims. Uh, Ghost of Interest in the episode there, I think. They have, like, a series of serial killer ones, and they do, like, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, um, a couple other ones. Nice. But I'm pretty sure you can, like, go visit that house. Is it still there? Or the land, at least. The land, yeah. 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 Um, okay, Gacy was active in his local community once he moved there. His neighbors considered him helpful. He would he willingly loaned his construction tools and plowed snow from uh, neighborhood sidewalks free of charge. Uh, and between 1974 and 1978, he hosted annual summer parties attended by hundreds of people, including politicians. On paper, he seems like a great fucking guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see how people would be like captivated by him and drawn in by him because he is charming and he is successful and he does things for other people like i get it right you know right you know but little did they know as they're you know eating their burgers and whatever at his summer parties there's bodies in the basement actually the crawl space he didn't have a basement ew crawl spaces yes i mean i guess spoiler alert like, obviously, John Wayne Gacy. But, like, yeah, he, he's surprised he's a murderer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, on June 22nd, Gacy was charged, arrested and charged with aggravated sexual battery and reckless con- conduct. The arrest was in response to a complaint filed by a youth who claimed that Gacy had flashed a sheriff's badge and lured him into his car. And forced him to perform oral sex. These charges were dropped after the complainant attempted to blackmail Gacy. And again, the Iowa uh, Board of Parole did not learn about these incidents. How? uh, Until eight months later. (laughs) They're so fucking slow. (laughs) They learned, I know, they learned about it after Gacy's parole had ended. So, like, nothing happened. Uh, Then again, if he is having... uh, little barbecues with uh, all these politicians. That's true. Maybe they can make it disappear. Mm-hmm. Slow mm-hmm. something down. So after this, he began dating a girl that he knew from high school. Her name was Carol Hoff. Don't do it, Carol. Carol, <laughs> Carol was recently divorced with two little girls. Uh, John confided in Carol about being bisexual and about his prison record. She was concerned, but she was won over by him, his hard work ethic, and the fact that his daughters adored him. Uh, they even called him daddy, which I think is a little creepy, to be honest with you. Don't say it. Don't say it, Kayla. Don't make me say it. Kylie, don't say it. What's I my know, name? Oh, yeah, hold on. Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> they called him daddy. <laughs> Nicole fucking hates that. <laughs> so fucking weird. It's like the new panties. It's the dirty. It's a it's a clean word that's dirty. <laughs> okay, it's gross. He was very it, good Go with, with the little girls. Like he was he was very kind with them. He was he was good with them. But Carol's affections were no longer enough for him, and he could barely control his attraction to teenage boys. 
On January 2nd, 1972, he picked up a 16-year-old named Tim McCoy uh, from a a the Greyhound bus station, and Gacy took McCoy on a sightseeing tour of Chicago and then drove him back to his home with the promise that he could spend the night and be driven back to the station in time to catch his bus. Gacy took him back to his house where they had sex, and afterward, he plunged a knife through Tim McCoy's chest and buried the body in a crawl space and acted like nothing happened. Oh, that escalated so fast. Yeah. So, uh, that was his first killing. That, w- that was off? his, f- yes, that's his first okay. kill. Um, so we need to talk a little bit more about this PDM painting, decorating maintenance business, because most of his employees uh, mo- most of his workforce consisted of high school students and young men. Oh, no. Oh, no. Gacy would often proposition his workers for sex or insist on sexual favors in return for acts such as lending his vehicles, financial assistance, or promotions. Ugh. Now I take back the fact that he on paper was a good guy because he really wasn't on paper a good guy. Because that's on paper that you're reading, he's not a good guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, honestly, though, doing this, like, I had, uh, like, uh, cognitive dissonance is the theme, mm-hmm. honestly. Because, like, yeah. at times, like, I felt bad for him, like, because of his upbringing. Um, but then I'm like, mm-hmm. knock it off, Bree. Right. He had bodies in his crawl space. But it's like... Right. Plenty of people have a shitty upbringing and they don't go killing people. Right. And raping and whatever. Right. Yeah, I get it. So I, it was just... I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack here. Uh, he also claimed to own guns. Uh, once telling an employee, do you know how easy... It would be to get one of my guns and kill you, and how easy it would be to get rid of the body. Now, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but in 1973, uh, Gacy and a teenage employee of his traveled to Florida to view a property that Gacy had purchased. Uh, on the first night in Florida, Gacy raped him in their hotel room. After returning to, to Chicago, the employee uh, drove to Gacy's house and beat him in his front yard and Gacy told his wife that he had been attacked for refusing to pay him for poor quality work. Oh my god. Yeah. So Gacy says that the second time that he committed murder was around January 1974. This victim remains unidentified. Uh, He might not have been an employee. Um, Gacy strangled him and placed the body in his closet before burial. He later stated that bodily fluids leaked from the victim's mouth and nose, staining his carpet. As a result, Gacy regularly stuffed cloth rags, the victim's own underwear, or a sock into the mouths of subsequent victims to prevent this leakage from occurring. God, that's gross. Yeah. In May 1975, Gacy hired... 15-year-old Anthony Antonucci in... Antonucci. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it back the Italian hand. In July 1975, <laughs> Gacy went to Antonucci's home 
the two drank a bottle of wine and then watched heterosexual stag films before Gacy wrestled Antonucci to the floor and cuffed his hands behind his back. One cuff was loose, and Antonucci freed his arm while Gacy was out of the room. When Gacy returned, Antonucci, a high school wrestler, pounced upon him. He wrestled Gacy to the floor, obtained possession of the handcuff key, and cuffed Gacy's hands behind his back. At first, Gacy threatened Antonucci, then calmed down and promised to leave if he would remove the handcuffs. Antonucci agreed, and Gacy left. Antonucci later recalled that Gacy told him, not only are you the only one who got out of the cuffs, you got them on me. Uh, I mean, he had a few victims that got away. That was just one of them. Um, So Carol, Carol Hoff, um, with the two girls... Uh, Carol and John got married, seven and seven months later, his mom moved out to leave the newlyweds uh, to themselves. After the wedding, his and Carol's relationship went sour. Uh, he still wanted to have sex with teenage boys. Uh, on July 31st, 1975, another one of Gacy's employees, an 18-year-old from Lombard, uh, Illinois, John Butkovich, what a name. <laughs> Disappeared. Uh, Try not to make butt stuff yeah. jokes. <laughs> uh, Bukovich's car was found parked near the corner of Sheridan and Lawrence and with his jacket and wallet inside and the keys still in the ignition. The day before his disappearance, Bukovich had confronted Gacy uh, over two weeks of outstanding back pay. Bukovich's father... Uh, a Yugoslavian immigrant called Gacy, who claimed he was happy to help search for his son, but was sorry that Bukovic had run away. Mm. When questioned by the police, Gacy said Bukovic and two friends had arrived at his house demanding the overdue pay, but they had reached a compromise and all three had left. Over the following three years, Bukovic's parents called police more than 100 times, urging them to investigate Gacy further. Gacy later admitted to encountering Butkovich exiting his car at the corner of West Lawrence Avenue, waving to attract his attention. According to Gacy, Butkovich uh, approached his car, stating, I want to talk to you. Gacy invited, invited Butkovich into his car, then invited him back to his home to settle the issue of the overdue wages. At his home, Gacy offered Bukovic a drink, then conned him into allowing his wrists to be cuffed behind his back. The 16-year-old willingly put handcuffs on, thinking it was part of this magic trick that John was trying to show him. And when he got the cuffs on the kid, John Gacy said, See, the trick is, you have to have the key. So then this kid realized that they were real and not magic trick handcuffs, and he was gagged with his own underwear and sexually tortured, and he had a rope put uh, on his throat. Um, A pen was stuck in the rope and twisted, creating a garrote 
like Jean Benet, um, like we talked about in that episode. Uh, Gacy later confessed to having sat on the kid's chest for a while before he strangled him. And he was a, he was a, he was a beefy guy. Oh my oh, God. Oh yeah, definitely. Like he was, I don't know, would you say like 250 or more? Yeah, at, at least. I mean, let's, let's at least, the, at, I, yeah, I mean, looking at, at least 250 looking at him, on the very low end. Looking at him. Yeah, looking at him and his size, because that would have been similar to me when I was at my heaviest, I would say he's like two, 275. Yeah, he's a big guy. I would say. Yeah. He'd... And this kid was, I think it said he was 16. I mean, he was he was a child. Yeah. Um, so he yeah. stowed um, Bukovic's body in his garage, intending to bury the body in a crawl space. Uh, but... His wife and stepdaughters returned earlier than expected, and Gacy buried Bukovic's body under the concrete floor of the garage in an empty space where he had initially intended to dig a drain tile. Miko, hold on. I'm about to have a catastrophe. Get out of here. <laughs> Sorry, Miko is like trying. I have this blanket up to like muffle sound, and Miko's sitting here on my dresser. I can hear his tail just. <laughs> He's about to jump up on the blanket, and you know it's all yep. gonna come tumbling down. Okay, I think we're all God, fucking cats. Worse than kids. Okay, sorry, Brie, go ahead. I just didn't want to, you know, die. <laughs> okay. He was leading a double life, and his friends and business partners had no inkling that he had already killed twice. He would volunteer at the children's ward of the hospital, dressing up as Pogo the Clown to lift their spirits, and he even dabbled in politics in Cook County and was the Democratic Precinct Captain of the 21st Precinct. Oh my gosh. Uh, He would do Uh... favors for, for people, he knew everyone, he helped everyone, he was very busy, um, he... Oh, our teaser for this episode is definitely going to be a pogo stick. A pogo stick, yeah. <laughs> See, he had 100%. he had two um, like clown alter egos, I guess you could say. The first one was Pogo the clown, who was like a very childlike, playful clown, and the other one was Patches the clown, which was more a more serious clown. But I haven't seen a lot of information about Patches. But when he says, no. "Do you guys remember Bozo?" Yes, that was out of Chicago too. Creepy. That show was out of Chicago. Fucking creepy. Um, I was yeah. actually going to say a serious clown. When I think of a serious clown, I think of Baskets the Clown. <laughs> oh. Uh, um, Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. I freaking love that series. It's like a dark <laughs> comedy series, and I fucking love it. I just can't, okay. I just can't do also, anything with can't. clowns. Like, so, it's just, it's just weird. Well, he, like, he goes to, like, this French clown school, and, like, he's, like, super serious about it. It's so funny. And, actually, Karen Kilgariff, um wrote for that show. Really? That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, so he had almost no time for his family. Uh, this, is, this is TMI, but he uh, stopped having sex with his wife on Mother's Day. They had sex on Mother's Day, and he announced to her that this would be their last time having sex. <laughs> Who does that? That's so weird. I'm sorry. Wait a second. Who? In what world? 
that is so fucking bizarre. I'm that was what that's that's so that's so weird. <laughs> Do you think he said it matter of factly like this is the last time we will have sex? Probably. Today Thank is you. our yeah. day, Carol. This is Thank our you. last day. This is the no, this is the this is the last time we will perform coitus. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Um, so, I mean, they were, yeah, so they weren't, they weren't having sex. They bickered constantly. His wife saw him bring teenage boys into his garage and found gay pornography, uh, men's wallets and identification uh, inside the house. And when she confronted him about who these items belonged to, he informed her angrily that it was none of her business. Uh, and one time in 1975, they had a fight over Carol spending too much money. And that was kind of the last straw. She filed for a divorce. <laughs> the last straw um, was her spending too much money. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the. Not, I mean, maybe she didn't. Maybe she didn't not really him like him murdering sex people. Him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I mean, she didn't know I mean, about yeah, that. Yeah, she didn't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's but I mean, okay. But think about it. You are, have just been divorced, and you got remarried again. Do you really want to be like, oh, just kidding? I want to. I'm gonna have two failed marriages under my belt. Yeah. Let me do that real quick. But Carol, yeah. like, come on, Carol. Yeah, Pick some better men. Like, come on, ugh. Carol. <laughs> <laughs> ugh. So, okay. So at this point, John Wayne Gacy's a 33 year old single guy now. Uh, he would go out and hunt for young men to abduct Ooh. at gunpoint and bring back to his house rape and kill them, and bury them in his crawl space. Although Gacy remained um, gregarious and civic-minded, several neighbors noticed erratic changes in his behavior after his 1976 divorce. This included seeing him keeping company with young males, uh, hearing his car arrive or depart in the early hours of the morning, or seeing lights in his home switch on and off in the early hours. You sound like kind of nosy neighbors, because, like, I mean, you know. Yeah. However, one neighbor later recollected that for several years, the sounds of muffled, high-pitched screaming, shouting, and crying had repeatedly uh, awakened her and her son in the early morning hours. She identified the sounds as emanating from a house adjacent to theirs on Somerdale Avenue. Did they ever Gacy, call the cops? Ah, uh, that's what I'm wondering. Um, I, As it someone who is dealing with neighbor issues, you call the fucking cops. Right. It doesn't sound like she called them at the time. It almost sounds like the neighbors went and knocked on doors and asked the neighbors, like, is there anything strange about, yeah. you, know, you know, just interviewing interviewing the neighbors. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what it yeah. sounds like where that information came from. Um, Gacy usually lured a lone victim to his house, although um, on approximately three occasions, Gacy had what he called doubles, two victims killed in the same evening. Several victims were lured with the promise of a job with his contracting company. Others uh, were lured with the offer of uh, drinks, drugs, or money for sex. His victims included people he knew and random individuals uh, lured from Chicago's Greyhound bus station, Bughouse Square, or simply off of any of the streets. 
Some of the victims were grabbed by force. Uh, others were conned into believing Gacy um, was a policeman um, because he often carried a sheriff badge. Uh, and he had spotlights um, on his black Oldsmobile. So it kind of looked like a cop car. Hate yeah. that. Which, that is a thing that a lot of serial killers do, is um, impersonate a police officer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, inside Gacy's home, uh, his usual MO was to ply the youth with drugs, uh, drinks, or just generally gain their trust. Uh, having restrained his victim, Gacy would usually proceed to rape and torture his captive. He frequently began by sitting on on the victim's chest by forcing before forcing his victim to fellate him. Ooh. He then inflicted Ooh. acts of torture, including burning with cigars, making his captive inmate imitate a horse as he sat on their back and pulled upon makeshift reins around their necks and he also violated them with foreign objects such as dildos and prescription bottles after he had sodomized them Mm, you lost me at horse thing to immobilize his captives before engaging in acts uh, of torture, Gacy frequently manacled their ankles to a two-by-four, a la Misery. Oh, yeah. Uh, with handcuffs. You need to watch this yeah, movie. You, do. <laughs> yeah, you have to watch Misery. You got, this is the second... I I may have watched it. I, I know that my mom has had it on at home. I know she has. Like, when I was growing up. I So I've probably seen it, but I should really rewatch it, because it's the second episode we've mentioned it in. Yes. Um, he would, uh, drag or force his victims to crawl into his bathroom where he partly drowned them in a bathtub before repeatedly reviving them, enabling him to continue his prolonged assault. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, Gacy typically murdered his victims by placing a rope tourniquet or garrote around their neck before progressively tightening the rope with a hammer handle. He referred to this act as the rope trick, frequently informing his captive that this is the last trick. Just like he did with his uh, wife. Like this clown. is the last time. Yes. <laughs> this is the last time we have coitus, bitch. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> In at least one instance, he had read part of Psalm 23 as he tightened the rope around his victim's neck. So, Gacy was Catholic. He was raised Catholic. Psalm 23 is, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's the, um, is that the valley of the shadow of death one? It could be. Um, but that's, that's messed up though. Occasionally, the victim had convulsed for an hour or two before dying. Um, although several victims died by asphyxiation from cloth, cloth gags, stuffed deep into their throat. Two, except for two of his final victims, um, all were murdered between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. After he death, Gacy... Yes, after... Definitely. That's like the witching hours. Um, after mm-hmm. death, Gacy usually stored the victims' bodies under his bed for up to 24 hours Ooh. before burying his victim in a crawl space where he periodically 
poured quicklime to hasten the decomposition of his victims. That reminds me of uh, the, like him sitting or like getting into the the coffin with them. Is like he has like he sleeps better when they're close. Yeah. Ugh. Yep. Uh, some of his victims' bodies were taken to his garage and embalmed prior to burial. So, taking him back to the mortuary days in Las Vegas. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, with that, with the um, fluid spilling out of the mouth and eyes mm-hmm. or whatever, you think he would have fucking learned from working in a funeral home, like, fluids happen, yeah. you know? So, he grew tired of digging all these graves in his crawl space, and he wanted ready-made graves. Uh, so he had an unsuspecting employee I'm named sorry, David that, Cram. I just thought of like shake and bake graves, ready made, <laughs> ready made graves, ready made graves. <laughs> oh sorry. my god! If you don't have your own homemade graves, store bought is fine. <laughs> That is the name Nicole. That is the name for a cookbook. Yes. Recipes for disaster. I Recipes like it. Oh. oh my god. <laughs> write it down. Yeah. Write it down. Miko, write it down. That is so good. God. Alright, so he had an unsuspecting employee named David Cram dig trenches for pipes. Air quotes. Pipes. Um uh, alright. Yeah. Pipes aren't usually pipes aren't usually that uh that size. Yeah. So Gacy instructed him to only break ground uh where he had marked. Uh, he came back uh, every so often to check on David, saying, are you done yet? Like, he was kind of impatient to have this have this done and have David get out of the crawl space. Um, so David actually also rented a spare the spare room from Gacy. Now that uh, his wife and the two stepdaughters had moved out, David came home one night, and Gacy was drunk and dressed like Pogo the Clown. Uh, Gacy invited him to enjoy a a drink with him. They had a drink, and Gacy tricked David into the handcuffs with the old magic trick routine. Uh, And he started laughing at at David, and he poked him, uh, just poked him with one finger, and he kept saying in like a weird... He had like a weird voice when he was Pogo the Clown, like a nasally, kind of more high-pitched voice. And so... He's poking him, and he's like, does that bother you? Huh? Does that get you going? Huh? Huh? Does that make you mad? Ew. Yeah. And David told him, if you don't get these handcuffs off me, I'm going to kick your ass. And Gacy did not break character. And he started growling at David like a mad dog. Ooh. And chasing him, he actually, he's, he grabbed the handcuffs and started, like, like pulling David around the room in circles. And saying, I'm going to rape you. <gasps> yeah. Oh, God, that's creepy. Why is he so creepy? Yeah. Very, very creepy. So anyway, despite being handcuffed, David was able to push Gacy down and get the key and escape to his room. 
So a month later, Gacy appeared uh, at David's bedroom door intending to rape him, saying, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you just give me what I want. Uh, David resisted, um, straddling Gacy, who left the bedroom, stating, you ain't no fun. David moved out after that, and he left the construction company, the PDM. Uh, although he did periodically work for Gacy over the following two years. I wouldn't have did that, personally. Hell no. No. Um, on January 20th, 1977... Gacy lured a 19-year-old John Sizzik to his house on the pretext of buying his Plymouth satellite. He later confessed to strangling Sizzik in his spare bedroom, claiming that his new, um, his new roommate, also an employee of his, young employee, his name was Michael Rossi, claiming Michael Rossi was uh, asleep in the house the following morning. Gacy told, later sold the car to Michael Rossi, the roommate, for $300. So he lured the kid there to sell him the car. He killed the kid whose car it was and then sold the car, which was in his driveway since the kid drove there, to get murdered. And then sold the car for $300 to his roommate. Jesus. God, what a piece of shit. Yeah. Between December 1976 and March 1977, uh, it is known that Gacy killed an unidentified adult male. He buried him in, in the crawl space, surprise, surprise, uh, and also the body of a 20-year-old Michigan native named John Prestige, Prestige, Prestige uh, who had de- disappeared on May 15th. Uh, shortly before his disappearance, Prestige had mentioned that he obtained work with a local contractor. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it was PDM. Yeah. Gacy murdered one ad- additional unidentified youth and buried him in a crawl space in the spring or early summer of 1977. The exact time of this murder is unknown. On July 5th, Gacy killed 19-year-old from Crystal Lake, named Matthew Bowman. Bowman's mother last saw him in a sub- at the suburban uh, train station. That following month, uh, Michael Rossi, the, the employee who he sold that car to, was arrested for stealing gasoline while driving John Sizzik's car. The gas station attendant noted that the license plate Um, noted the license plate, and the police traced the car to Gacy's house. When questioned, Gacy told officers that Sizzik had sold the car to him in February, saying that he needed money to leave town. A check of the VIN number confirmed that the car had belonged to Sizzik. The police did not uh, pursue the matter further, although they did inform Sizzik's mother that her son had sold his car. By the end of 1977... Gacy had killed 19 young men in his house. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. In May 1978, he was helping to organize the Polish Independence Day Parade in Chicago. Uh, Rosalind Carter, 
uh, President Jimmy Carter's wife was the guest of honor, and she was even photographed with John Wayne Gacy. Ooh. Oh. Yes. Oh, oh my In God. In the photo, he Creepy. has a pin with the letter S on it, which means he was given um, approved security clearance to be close to the First Lady. Holy yes. crap. This guy really was, like, very, a very esteemed member of society. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which is so scary. And also a clown. So that same... Yeah. Yes, and also a clown. <laughs> exactly. I wonder if, like, these people knew this. Because that's creepy. They had to have known it, but that's just weird. So, this same year, um, 1978, the crawl space had no more room for the bodies. Um... Gacy later confessed to police that he considered stowing bodies in his attic initially, but had been worried about complications arising from leakage. Yeah. I was going to say, leakage, seepage, don't do it. Therefore, he chose to dispose of his victims off the uh, I-55 bridge in the Des Plaines River, into the Des Plaines River. Gacy stated that he had thrown five bodies into a river in 1978. He believed that one had landed on a passing barge. Ooh. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they thought it was, like, a suicide, like they jumped from the overpass or something like that. Oh, yeah. But I wonder if they had any, like, any signs of torture, like... Yeah. Like, something, like, on their wrists or their neck or anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. But also, like... Or stabs or anything. A barge is passing, and this man is like, Oh, yeah! I'm just gonna throw it over now, instead of waiting two minutes for this barge to pass. Right? True. Like, barges move slow, but, like, you can wait a right? couple minutes. Uh, so only four of those bodies were, were ever found that he threw over that the bridge and into the river. Um, the, okay, and the fifth one was the barge body. Probably, yeah. The... the First known victim thrown from the I-55 bridge into the Des Plaines River was 20-year-old Timothy O'Rourke. He was murdered in mid-June after leaving his Dover Street apartment to purchase cigarettes. Shortly before his disappearance, O'Rourke had told his roommate a contractor on the northwest side had offered him a job. On November 4th, Gacy killed 19-year-old Frank Landigen. His naked body was found in the Des Plaines River in Chanahan on November 12th. On November 24th, a 20-year-old Elmwood Park resident, James Mazzara, disappeared after sharing Thanksgiving dinner with his family. Mazzara had informed his sister the day prior to his disappearance that he was working in the construction industry and doing all right. He was last seen alive walking in the direction of Bughouse Square carrying a suitcase, which was one of the places in Chicago that Gacy would go cruising for young men. So by December, at the end of the year, in 1978, he was committing a murder about every two weeks. Holy shit. And he showed no signs of stopping exactly. That's... Oh my god. Every two weeks. He showed no signs of stopping That's insane. until an investigation into a missing youth led police right to Gacy. By this time, the 36-year-old Gacy had raped and killed 32 men while the entire time 
maintaining, maintaining an, a facade of an upstanding community businessman. Uh, December 11th, 1978, he went to do a bid for a remodeling job at a pharmacy. At closing time, a young employee named Rob Peast was abducted by Gacy. He was 15 years old and he was lured into the car by the promise uh, of a better paying job with Gacy's company. He was never seen alive again and was John Wayne Gacy's 33rd victim. When Rob Peast went missing and police interviewed witnesses, uh, they said that they last saw him with Gacy. Uh, Gacy indicated that he had seen two youths working at the pharmacy and asked one of them, whom he believed to be Peast, whether or not there uh, were any remodeling materials behind the store. He was adamant, however, that he had not offered Peast a job and had only returned to the pharmacy shortly after 8 p.m. as he had left his appointment book at the store. Gacy promised to come to the, the police station later that evening to make a statement confirming this, indicating he was unable to do so at that moment because his uncle had just died. When questioned as to how soon he could come to the police station, he responded, You guys are very rude. Don't you have any respect for the dead? All right, Mr. Gacy. All right. Again. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> what the hell is wrong with this man? He's on another level. Um, he's, yeah, he's, he's just, he's very bizarre. It's very bizarre for him. Like, he's so high functioning, man about town, respected in society, but he's leaving this double life. And then he thinks that they're doing something wrong by not respecting the dead and it's like you created the dead exactly he had gotten away with all these murders before so he probably felt like he could get away with this one too i mean he had he had murdered you know over 30 people and gotten away with it yeah um police didn't buy this story and they got a search warrant uh, they didn't find anything that would link him to Rob Peast, but they found uh, tons of jewelry and trinket items that belonged to other missing boys. Uh, investigators also found handcuffs, books on homosexuality, and I don't know how to say this, pederasty? Pederast? I don't know if that's how you say it, but what it is is like the relationships between young boys and uh, older men like in ancient Greece. It's oh. it's pedophilia. Yeah. It's pedophilia. Let's say for mm. what it is. Okay. Um sa- seven pornographic films, capsules of anal nitrate, uh which I didn't look what up what that is, but I'm I'm assuming it's like a sedative. Uh, an 18-inch dildo they found in Ooh, Gacy's bedroom. That's 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 got some length oh, yeah. to it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. They found that's a 39-inch uh, two by four with two holes drilled in each end, probably the one that he used for the shackling the legs. <clears throat> Bottles of Valium and Atropine. And several driver's licenses were found in the northwest bedroom. A blue hooded parka was found atop a toolbox inside the laundry room, and underwear too small to fit Gacy was located inside a bathroom closet. 
He was a murder suspect, but without bodies, little could be done. He was put on 24-hour surveillance after that, though. Uh, he knew that he was on 24-hour surveillance as well. Um, he seemed undeterred and not nervous at all. He even picked up the cop's dinner tab on the first night of the stakeout. God, that's weird. That is fucking I ballsy. don't know how they could accept that. I, they did. I mean, the, so, so far, the cops in this story are pretty fucking awful. Yeah. So. No one is no one is talking you know. to each other in this department. That. Yeah. No. They want free dinner from John Wayne Gacy. Right. One of the cops uh, said that he, one of the stakeout cops said that he and his partner had to continually remind each other that Gacy was a murder suspect because he was such a likable guy and he was not at all intimidating. He even had the surveillance team over to his house for a fish dinner. Uh, Gacy was obviously famous for his entertaining. He had all those summer barbecue parties and everything like that. And so when he had the surveillance team over for this fish dinner, during the dinner, uh, one of the police uh, smelled a foul odor coming from one of the vents um, and realized that the crawl spaces must be where where he kept the bodies. So Gacy knew that they were seeking a second search warrant uh, after that, and he was concerned. Um, David Cram, uh, his former roommate and employee, uh, informed investigators of Gacy's attempts to rape him back when he was uh, Gacy's roommate, and he stated that after he and Gacy had returned home on December 13th after the, the first search of his property, um, after the first search warrant, uh, Gacy had turned pale after seeing a clot of mud on his carpet, which he suspected had come from the crawl space. So he thought that they had that oh, they had searched in the crawl space. Yeah. And David said that Gacy had grabbed a flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space to look for evidence of digging. When asked whether he had been to the crawl space, uh, he David replied that he had once been asked to spread lime down there and also that he had dug trenches which Gacy had explained were for drainage pipes. Mm -hmm. uh, he stated that these trenches were two feet wide, six feet long, and two feet deep. Yeah. Uh, so perfect grave size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So weird, at this point... Weird, weird area for pipes, but uh, great. Great writing mate. Yeah. yeah. Graves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shake and bake graves. <laughs> so, at this point, I mean, he was cornered. Uh, he, Gacy called his attorney, Sam Amarante, for an all-night confessional. On the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove uh, to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge to uh, attend a scheduled meeting and to discuss the progress of the civil suit. Uh, on arrival, Gacy had appeared disheveled and immediately asked for an alcoholic drink, whereupon Sam, uh, Sam Amarante fetched a bottle of whiskey from his car. I don't know why a, a, an attorney has an open bottle of whiskey. It doesn't say it was open. Maybe it was closed from his car. I don't know. Listen, like Casually said, the, keep whiskey the cops, the authorities... <laughs> The authorities in this episode <laughs> are already not great, okay? <laughs> I saw this, this attorney wrote a book, um, 
uh, about this whole thing. And he also was on uh, a documentary that I watched. And he's, like, I mean, clearly by the last name. Like, he's an Italian guy. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's got, like, that Italian, like, like he probably says bada-bing, bada-boom. Like, he's very <laughs> Italian. <laughs> bada-bing, bada-boom. Bada-bing, bada-boom. <laughs> Okay, so he returned with this bottle or this bottle of whiskey from his car, and uh, his lawyer asked Gacy what what he had to discuss. And Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Heralds from Amarante's desk, pointed the front page article covering the disappearance of Robert Peast, and said, "This boy is dead. He's in a river." His uh, to, he told his attorney, "I have been the judge, jury, and executioner for many people." And now I want to be my own judge, jury, and executioner. And I don't want you to interfere, and I'm going to tell you everything from start to finish. Uh, the lawyer, wow. he, to- he told him everything. The lawyer said, this is so unbelievable. And Gacy offered to show him his crawl space and prove to him that he committed the murders. His attorney didn't want any part in that. Uh, smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm good. He didn't need to see it because um, they they ended up getting a search warrant that they were asking for to search again. So, as a result of drinking all that alcohol during his confession, Gacy fell asleep midway through his confession, and Amarante immediately uh, arranged for a psychiatric appointment the following morning. Uh. And when he awakened uh, several hours later, Gacy shook his head when he was informed by his lawyer that he had confessed to killing approximately 30 people. And he told his lawyer, well, I can't think about this right now. I've got things to do. Uh, He ignored his lawyer's advice regarding the psych appointment. And he left the office to attend to his needs of business. Oh my god. Yeah, so within hours, the police had their search warrant, Mm -hmm. uh, and they were on their way to his house, and it did not take them long to dig up human bones. Gacy uh, later recollected his memories from his final day of freedom as being hazy, adding that he knew his arrest was inevitable, and that he intended to visit his friends and say his final farewells. After leaving his lawyer's office... Gacy drove to a gas station where, in the course of filling his rental car, he handed a small bag of pot, cannabis, to the attendant, the gas attendant. <laughs> Thank you, Bree. <laughs> For the clarification. <laughs> Clearly none of us know what is that is. Frequently. So. We are, we are... We are very accurate in this episode about coitus and cannabis, <laughs> about are the words that we choose. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yeah, cannabis, if you will. <laughs> Alright, so he, he hands the gas station attendant this bag of weed, and he, the, apparently the surveillance uh, officers, um, I mean... They were, they were still following him. So um, the attendant gave the bag of weed to the surveillance officers. Because they were there too, I guess. Because since they were following him. Surveilling him. <laughs> okay, so Gacy, when he handed him the bag, he 
he told him, the end is coming for me. These guys are going to kill me. Oh. Probably, I don't know, I'm guessing referring to the police. Yeah. Um, Gacy then drove to the home of fellow contractor and friend Ronald Rohde. Uh, Gacy hugged Rhodey before bursting into tears and saying, I've been a bad boy. I've killed 30 people, give or take a few. A bad boy? I don't like the way that he said that. Ew, that's I don't cr- like that either. It's weird. Ew. Cringy. As he drove along the expressway, the surveillance officers noted that he was holding a rosary to his chin and praying as he drove. On hearing from the surveillance detectives that... In light of his erratic behavior, Gacy might be about to commit suicide. Police decided to arrest him on a charge of possession and distribution of cannabis in order to hold him in custody. Uh, that's pot, by that's the way. That's pot, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so they, uh, they were going to hold him in custody as the formal request for the second search warrant was presented. At 4.30 p.m. on December 21st, so day after the old confessional, the eve, um, the eve of hearing of Gacy's civil suit, Judge Marvin J. Peters granted the request for the second search warrant. After police informed Gacy of uh, their intentions to search his crawl space for the body of Rob Peace, uh, Gacy denied the teenager was buried there but confessed to having killed a young man in self-defense and whose body was buried under his garage. Armed with the signed search warrant, police and evidence technicians drove to Gacy's home. On their arrival, officers found Gacy had unplugged his sump pump, flooding the crawl space with water. To clear it, they simply replaced the plug and waited for the water to drain. After it had done so, evidence technician Daniel Genty entered the 38 by 28 foot crawl space, crawled to the southwest area, and began digging. Within minutes, he uncovered putrefied flesh and human human arm bone. Sounds gross. Genty immediately shouted to the investigators that they could charge Gacy with murder, adding, I think this place is full of kids. Ugh. Yeah. A police officer then dug in the northeast corner of the crawl space, uncovering a patella. That's a kneecap, in layman's terms. Thank you. Okay, I'm okay. (laughs) Thank you. The two then began digging in the southeast corner, uncovering two lower leg bones. Bodies were dug up like an archaeological dig, and bones were handed up one by one out of the crawl space. The victims were too decomposed to be Robert Peast, because uh, remember he was he was thrown over the the I fifty five bridge. Yeah. Uh, as the body. Um, as the body discovered in the northeast corner was later unearthed, a crime scene technician discovered the skull of a second victim alongside this body. Later excavations um, of the feet of this victim revealed a further skull beneath the body. Because of this, technicians returned to the trench where the first body was unearthed, discovering 
rib ca a rib cage of the fourth victim within the crawl space, confirming the scale of the murders. So on on this day, the December twenty first, uh, when they had arrested him for the the pot charge, just to, to keep him, mm -hmm. um, he Cannabis. was then arrested for murder. He seemed to take the news well and even joked with the cops who were booking him in. The joke was that they asked him where he was born, and he said that he was born in a state of confusion. So funny. Uh, his mugshot captured him laughing at his own joke. Yeah, I think I've seen uh, that, that mugshot. Yeah, the mugshot where he has a mustache and he's yep. kind of smirking. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that's the one. Um, he told police that he was not responsible for his actions because he was suffering from a multiple personality disorder. Uh, yeah. News broke about Gacy being a horrific serial killer, and Gacy was more annoyed with the cops going through his home than anything else. He wanted to make sure that they didn't dirty his floors and that they didn't mess up his bar or his cases of old Milwaukee beer. Which is... I mean, I don't drink beer, but I don't think that's very high-quality beer. Yeah, no. <laughs> Stop caring about your beer, <laughs> Anything man. with the word old in front of it right? isn't. Old is not very great for marketing purposes. Old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, to assist officers in their search for the victims buried beneath his house, during his confession, uh, Gacy drew a rough diagram of his basement, uh, on a phone message sheet to indicate where their bodies were buried. 26 bodies. 26. That's a lot. 26 bodies were unearthed from Gacy's crawl space over the next week. Three more were also unearthed elsewhere and on his property. His family was stunned. His sister Karen was in a state of denial and then anger. His... Of course Karen was, you fucking of course. Karen. His mother was completely devastated by this. She was never the same again. Um, she struggled with this because she said, I'm a mother. I love my son. How can I stop loving him? Which, that must be really hard to deal with as a mother. Yeah. I could not imagine. I could not imagine. During his February 1980 trial, he was 37 years old. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity in an attempt to save him from the death penalty. Uh, he was afraid of appearing homosexual. He made the distinction that he was bisexual. Um, Come on. Right? I mean, who cares? Um, I mean, but back psych then, professionals. Back then, it, it could have made a difference. I mean, maybe. I just... Yeah. It's just stupid. It, it bothers yeah. me. Psych professionals were baffled by him because he doesn't fit into any traditional categories. Uh, March 13th, 1980 was the end of his trial, and the jury said that he was guilty and sentenced him to death. After the trial, he... This is weird. After the trial, he consoled his defense team and congratulated... The prosecution. What? He... Oh, yeah. what? Forever the fucking diplomat? Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I don't see what... God, that's weird. Like, I don't... 
was he attempting to like be like ah uh, you know let's not give him a death like let's change it for him or like let's help him with his appeal or I mean I don't understand it's really weird yeah. so after the trial um yeah, he he asked to speak to the Cook County prosecutors he congratulated them and shook their hand and he said they did what they had to do uh, he respected what they did, and they did a great job, and congrats on getting the death penalty. Like, what the fuck? Oh my god, that is so bizarre. Very. So, he was sent to the Menard Correctional Facility. He... Any relation to Menards? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that word anywhere else, besides Menards. I, Save big money I've Menards. heard some last Weird. names of, like... Menard. I've heard that last name before. But yeah. that's it. God, I would hate to have the last name ending in Nard. <laughs> Another name we don't like. <laughs> so, when he was in prison, he began doing these clown paintings. Have you seen any of his paintings? Oh, God, yeah. Uh-huh. They're not great, but... No. no. What serial killer is a good artist? None of them. <laughs> Actually, that's not their. Actually, forte. there's, there's, there are some. Honestly. Yeah. Maybe I'll maybe Better I'll do like, one on my yeah. next. Maybe I'll do one on my yeah. next case. There's. I thought you were gonna be a serial killer <laughs> artist. I was like, um, <laughs> you need to get some off your chest, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he began doing these clown paintings and cashed in on his, you know, criminal celebrity status. He also wrote a book. Uh, in 1988, describing how he was innocent, the book was called A Question of Doubt by John Wayne Gacy. In this book, he said that he was the 34th victim and that the bodies were all planted beneath his floorboards by his employees. He said if you will look at his work schedule, <laughs> that you will see shit. that he has no time to be out cruising for young boys. Oh my god. Holy shit. So his mom believed him. And after a series of strokes, she lost all memory of her son and his crimes, and she died in 1989. Wow. Which is kind of, wow. like, tragic, but good. Yeah. You know, that she didn't die yeah. carrying that with her because she couldn't remember it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So, uh, May 10th, 1994, was the execution date for John Gacy. <clears throat> he was able to spend the day with his sister Karen. They had a photo taken together. Their last photo together. They're both smiling. It's it's odd. I mean, what are you going to do, you know? Right. Um, his request for a last meal was 12 fried shrimp, a bucket of original recipe KFC. Yes. French fries. <laughs> the colonel! <laughs> It all circles yeah. back. <laughs> French fries, a pound of strawberries, and a Diet Coke. Hmm. Yeah. Not the worst. Right. Not the best. Not the he worst. He was sentenced to lethal injection. Um, there was a crazy mob of people outside of the prison uh, chanting, kill him. Um, like, they had face paint. They dressed up like clowns. They oh, made fucking t-shirts. They made t-shirts for this event. The t-shirts, some of the t-shirts oh said, God, no tears for the clown. 
So mm-hmm. I don't know. Those people were really intense. Wow. Um, Karen said that she could That's hear intense, the mob yeah. from inside the prison. Wow. It was quite the scene. Um, at 12.40 a.m., he closed his eyes and took a deep breath and was injected. His final spoken words were reportedly, kiss my ass. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> that is so white trash. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> even, even his fucking last meal was white trash. And I could say that. I grew up in a trailer park. That is so fucking white. I mean, at least he didn't order shake and bake. <laughs> I mean, that's fucking true. Oh my god, that is so funny. Jesus, kiss my ass, mm-hmm. All right? So 18 minutes later, uh, the 52-year-old John Wayne Gacy was pronounced dead. And at 3 a.m., his body was secretly transported to a hospital where forensic psychologists would have his brain extracted to study it. They wanted to find out what happened prenatally. Uh, maybe they could see what happened during development, etc., they found nothing abnormal about the structures of his brain. There was no biological evidence. Hmm. <clears throat> wow. John Wayne Gacy has infamously inspired many horror clowns like Pennywise, Twisty the Clown. But the reality of it and the most scary part of it is a person who presents themselves as an all-American, friendly, trustworthy, Midwestern guy, but behind closed doors has the insatiable lust for young blood. It's like a true Jekyll and Hyde story. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to end to end this, I want to name all the victims uh, because they were real people with real families that loved them and they deserve to be recognized and not overshadowed by this horrific story. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Their names are Timothy McCoy, John Bukovich, Daryl Sampson, Samuel Stapleton, Randall Reffitt, Michael Bonin, William Carroll, Jimmy Hackinson, Rick Johnston, William Bundy, Michael Marino, Kenneth Parker, Gregory Godsick, John Sizick, John Prestige, Michael Bowman, Robert Gilroy, John Mowry, Russell Nelson, Robert Winch, Tommy Bowling, David Talsma, William Kindred, Timothy O'Rourke, Frank Landigin, James Mazzara, Robert Peast, and six unidentified young men. May they all rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very heavy stuff. That is, he was just a, yes, he's just a monster. Yeah. And the fact that he, like, successfully lived a double life for a long time. Yes. Yeah, so I feel scary. like that's a lot longer than you think about others that we hear about. Like, yes. That was, a, that, was a long, that was a long time that he was out and, like, yeah. Well, I mean, he got so many chances. Like, he was, right. he, he was let go, mm-hmm. you know, of his first prison sentence after 18 months. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a lot of, a lot of warning signs were brushed off. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And that happens. Yeah, I think that happens so I, often too. Well, I think part of it is like, I mean, they probably probably didn't want to like deal with it. It's more paperwork. You know, right. like I don't know. Yeah. It it's more paperwork, and he was involved right. in politics. Who knows who he paid off? Who he was in cahoots mm-hmm. with? Like we don't right. know. Everything like that is shady. Every type, and to me, anyway, and I'm sure most people would probably agree, anything revolving law enforcement or politi- politics, and when those two are combined, it's shady. Definitely. It's because there's like, because a, as it like a a balance, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's like... It just reminds me of, it, it reminds me of Scandal. If anyone's ever seen Scandal... There's always something going on behind closed doors to make something happen, and you'd never know Definitely. about it. Okay, like, so many things affect other things in politics. Yep, and the normal person would never know it until either stories come out about it or, like, you mm-hmm. live it. Yeah. Wow, Brie, well, that was a good one. That was a really good one. I had, I did not, I knew he was, like, the clown killer, and, like, I knew a little mm-hmm. bit about him, but that's one that I've never, like, dug into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, lots of people have fear of clowns, and, I mean, I'm I'm wondering, like, I mean, probably some people had a fear of clowns before this, but, like, did this really kick off the whole fear of clowns thing? Like, right. a cultural... Yeah. I'm sure this was... ...thing, like, you know? Like, you remember in, like, 2015 or yeah. 2016 when, like, there was those people that would stand with, like, balloons and just yep. be fucking creepers? Yeah. I think we've mentioned this on the podcast yeah, I before. Yeah, we did talk about it at one point. I think like, we have uh, a while back. Because you couldn't, because you couldn't dress up as a clown for like a couple years, right. at like work or anything. Like you literally couldn't dress up as clowns. Um, but yeah, I'm sure this was like one of the. This was obviously very sensationalized in the media. Right. So, and I'm sure the clown thing was just like a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Because it's creepy. It's just odd and it's creepy. Yeah, I mean, ever since I learned so, about John Wayne Gacy, I can't look at a clown, right? Um, also, yeah. like... You just never know. Let me also... Okay, so my cousin, DJ, um, <clears throat> he does a lot of, like, film work. Like, he's, like, a cameraman and he does... I don't know. He's probably going to, like, roast the shit out of me for describing his profession like this. <laughs> but, because um, <laughs> I don't know his, like, exact title. We're sorry. <laughs> but he, sorry. um, he was on, like, the crew with this, um, this movie called Gags the Clown. And you can watch this movie, um, on, uh, Amazon Prime. You can rent it. He has a really small part in it, too. He's, he's, a cameraman oh my in his small part in the movie. So. <laughs> mm. Yes, so that's my cousin DJ. Interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if any of our listeners um, have seen a creepy clown in their town, Let tell us, us about it. Mm-hmm. Let us know. Give us a jingle. Yeah. Give us a jingle. Uh, contact at perfectstranglers.com. Yes, that's our new to send email. us all of your weird stories. Also, 
Okay, stop laughing at me, Nicole. I like this. I like this sing song situation. <laughs> also, side note, I work with this woman who is, I believe she's originally from India. I told her about the podcast. Her name is Meg. Hi, Meg, if you're listening. And she let me know about some serial killers from oh, India that are very hell interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing some of those in the future. But for our international listeners, if you have some big serial killers over there that we might not know about over here... Go ahead and email us or contact us on social media and just like send us a link or just let us know their name and we'll dig into them and do some serial killers from like around the world because I feel like that's no, also, like, it. please. So like, many that'd be so interesting stories of like other cultures like have like similar stories to ours, but they're yes. different. Like we definitely <gasps> mm-hmm. need to cover some of that stuff because yep. it's so cool. For sure. Please help us, international listeners. There is one that Josh Gates did on a cryptid on Destination Truth back in the day when he, that was like his first show. The name of this like cryptid humanoid thing is Aisha Candisha. <laughs> what? And like the, like the, like the Guido thing, it has been living rent free in my brain I'm sorry, for what's so the long. Name? So I think I'm going to, Aisha Candisha. It has been living rent-free in the old nog for so long, and I'm going to have to do Aisha Candisha yeah. here coming up. Okay. Yeah. It's like this female humanoid thing in the jungles of maybe Singapore oh, or something. that's cool. Maybe Singapore? I don't know. It's really cool. It kind of, if I remember correctly, it reminds me a little bit of a banshee, um, but I'd have to relook at it, but that name has always stuck out to me, so I should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hi, Loon. Oh, Loon's eating your microphone. <clears throat> but, uh, okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And um, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And we will talk to you all next week. Yes. Also, I'd like to add, please give us a review. And we will see you <gasps> next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, Stranglers.